0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Alex Faulkner, and I help connect digital leaders with interim talent in the NHS and I'm your host. Claire, you are the left on my screen, so if I don't mind coming to you first, can you give us a bit of instructions introduction to, to what you do and who you are?
1: Of course, Alex. Hey, everybody. I'm Claire Liddy. Uh, my role at Old Hey Children's Hospital in Liverpool is the Managing Director of Innovation. Um, so basically, I'm the director responsible for our innovation centre um, here at Older Hay. Uh, my background is is healthcare, so I'm a qualified accountant. So what I bring um, to the table for innovation is I bring that kind of business side of innovation. Um, at Older Hay we 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 innovate for the benefit of children and young people but we also uh, want to monetise our innovations. Um, so so my, my my job is to head up our team which is 24 um, members of Older Hay are dedicated to innovation.
0: Thank
2: you Claire, thank you for that. Um, Adam, you are next on my screen, so i Mike to come to yourself. Sure, I'm I'm Adam Migra, I am the Innovation Director at the Royal Brompton-Hairfield Hospitals, which is part of Guy's and St Thomas's uh, Trust as of April this year, February this year. Um, and I lead our transformation innovation function within Brompton-Hairfield, obviously working very closely with the rest of the organisation now. And that has led us to do um, a whole range of different things, spanning sort of process and quality improvement, all the way along to um, automation, um, predominantly in the sort of power platform environment, but we're looking at RPA now. We're getting into sort of product development, AI, so a whole range of different things that we're exploring. Thank you, Alan for
0: that. Nala, you're next on my screen, but I don't to yourself.
3: Sure. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Nada and I am the innovation lead at uh, the Christie Hospital in Manchester. And we are a specialist cancer centre. So we only see and treat cancer patients. Um, And my role is to sort of see how we can increase the uptake and adoption of innovation within the Christie. We have a huge um, track record when it comes to research and clinical trials. Um, but we're trying to sort of increase the actual innovation and practice um, area within the hospital. Uh, thank you for that.
0: Uh, Adrian, you're next on my screen, if it's
4: okay, Scope go to yourself. Thanks, Alex. Afternoon, everyone. Um, so my name is Adrian. I am an innovation partnerships manager at Manchester University NHS Foundation Trust. Um, it's quite a large group of hospitals. We have 10 hospitals across seven sites. And we also partner with out of, um, out of hospital care with the uh, local care organisations for Manchester and Trafford um, as well. So we're part of a large clinical academic campus. We have our own enterprise zone. So we're keen on working with industry as well as academia. And we also host a integrative diagnostics and medtech campus in our city labs buildings. Mm-hmm.
0: Perfect. Thank you for that uh, And last,
5: last but not least, Eleanor, if you don't mind giving a quick introduction to the group, that'd be great. Hi. Um. So I'm Eleanor Hood. I am Principal Innovation Consultant at the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust. Um, I've been in the NHS for about um, six years, and prior to that, I worked um, building startups internationally. Um. The work that we do at the Royal Free um is, is focused across all areas of innovation, but we are a RPA centre of excellence, um, and so that's our our oh, <laughs> bread and butter but we, we work across um ai uh digital platforms including service redesign um as well as virtual reality
0: uh, thank you all so much for that so great group um you know a lot of uh, different sort of geographies within this group tonight so i'm really excited to hear uh, everyone's opinion so i'm going to dive straight in um I'll pose the groups question if that's okay and, and maybe ask that person to expand a bit more. And um, Nada, I'm actually gonna go to your question first if that's okay, just I think it's a, a good starting block. So I'll pose the groups question, Nada, And if you wanna sort of explain a bit more, then that'd be great. But Nada's question to the group was: what do you think is the secret ingredient to making innovation successful in your organization? So Nada, I don't know if you want to, to dive into that bit deeper yourself first and, and then we can sort of start a conversation from that.
3: Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I guess the reason I put this to the group um, was to see if there is a secret ingredient. I think the <laughs> my thinking is, you know, there are innovation can become quite a complex um, thing when you're working with multiple organisation, multiple stakeholders. And, you know, my attempt at seeing if it, it can be simplified in any way and any hints and tips, you um, through, you know, the term of a secret ingredient, um, because I haven't found it. <laughs> so if anyone has thoughts and ideas, that would be great. Anyone got anything to add from that? Anything I, that's kind of particularly worked well, I think, is probably what what the question is hinting at. Yeah.
1: I, I don't mind going, Alex. Yeah, of um, course, of course it made me smile um nadia when you said about secret ingredients because when i i talk about innovation you know in my experience of innovation in healthcare is about three years old now and um, predominantly full-time for the last 12 months so i've kind of seen the good the bad and the ugly and, and when i share kind of what i think good looks like i call it the um the recipe book for innovation and I think there isn't one secret ingredient, um, and that from my personal experience, I think there's there's about four ingredients that you need. Um, and I think the, the first one for me is about making sure innovation is embedded in trust strategy um, and is part of trust strategy. So it's not a separate thing, um, but it's really integrated with what the trust strategy is. So innovation is one of your tools um, to deliver your um your strategic objectives is my first ingredient the second one is around culture um and around having a right culture for oh. innovation um, and i won't say much more about that that's my question <laughs> <So I don't laughs> be, uh, the third ingredient is about resources and infrastructure um and process and um, innovation is about um being really random and um and and working in an unstructured way. For, for us at Older Hay, what we've learned over the years is about structure. Innovation is a process um, and I think having that really clear um, process with the adequate and skilled resources is really critical. And the final ingredient for me out of my four is about partnerships. Um, innovation very much is about collaboration and working with ecosystems um, to bring together. Different cap- capabilities, different skills, different technologies, different solutions that come together to, um, to make innovations a possibility. So that's my recipe book, anyway. I'm not saying that's right, but you heard it here to hear first. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Adam, I think
0: you raised your hand there just for Alan, so I'm going to come to you first. And if anyone wants to use the hand function, that's easier. That's
2: absolutely fine. So I'll come to yourself, Adam. Yeah, I'm absolutely not going to dispute with Claire's four-point plan because that's much more structured than my thoughts are, but. Uh, I would build on a couple of those things. You mentioned, um, Claire mentioned culture there. I think a really important element of, of, of that shift in culture that enables innovation is our approach to risk. And I think that we tend to be extremely risk averse, particularly within our technology departments. And I think what's really shifted the deal for us over the last, last 18 months is having a very different conversation about risk, where it's not just focused on the risk of doing something, it's the risk of not doing that at all and certainly in the kind of environment that we've been in with covid and obviously patients not coming into the hospital suddenly there is a much bigger risk of not implementing in particular a technological change or an innovation that allows us to continue to look after patients and you put that side by side with the risk of introducing a new technology and and the balance is completely completely shifted and i think that what the other thing that i think is often bizarrely an elephant in the room that isn't talked about is actually having some tools and capabilities at your disposal to do anything meaningful you know Eleanor mentioned RPA RPA is a is a is a significant tool in your arsenal to or weapon in your arsenal to affect meaningful change and step changes and I think you know having been in the NHS for for 10 odd years and been in around transformation and quality improvement there is still this sort of sense that you can you can change things really meaningfully just through the will of the mind and through constantly remapping out processes. And I think we're really at a point now where you have to look at giving yourself really powerful tools to make those step changes. And we shouldn't be afraid of saying that, I think.
0: Thank you so much, Adam. Eleanor, I think uh, you had something to add there.
5: Yeah, I have a feeling we're all probably going to be aligned on quite a lot of these things. But um, I think just to build on, on both Claire's um, and this point is that um, a lot of it's demonstrating value early to, to enable both of those things. So, <clears throat> with RPA particularly, if you can demonstrate quite quickly that it's going to have, you know, return on investment, both in terms of experience and financially, even if it's something small, um, just having that as a sort of a, a shining star that you can point to is always really useful. But in order to enable that, you also need to have the permission and the space. Um, to do that. So it's it's getting someone on board to give you that, okay, we're going to give you this much to see if you can demonstrate that very early on and do something very quickly. Um, And then that will enable um, the rest to come together. Thank you for that,
0: Eleanor. Adrian, I can see uh, there's been a lot of uh, shaking your head and nodding here. So I feel like you've got something to say
4: yeah so I, I agree with everything everyone's saying and and uh, especially that there isn't one single um, secret ingredient but culture is absolutely key um and you know doing innovation with people and not to people so i think you need at, at different ends of the spectrum you need senior buy-in uh a, a, a top level uh, strategy level across your organization but you also need the buy-in of the people who'll be using the innovations that you're going to put through your system um, so that you can you know, co-produce and, and adapt innovations to the local setting and do it properly with people.
0: That's great, that's great. Well, um, I think it's a great talking point. And that does that uh, help in, in finding that sort of key secret ingredient that you're desperately looking for? <laughs>
3: um, yeah, I think it's kind of just echoed why I kind of was thinking that, you know, it, it's not magic, it's not gonna take one, you know, secret element that makes and brings everything together. Um I absolutely love Claire's recipe book and have been yeah. jotting down her stealing her recipe as she was speaking. Um but yeah I think you know I, I feel like it's felt the same and it's about enacting those different elements and the kind of acceptance that you get within an organization so we've talked about sort of culture and strategy and resources even you know if if it's not brought in in the organization that it needs to be resourced well you know that's it's kind of pillars that all need to stand together rather than one magic thing that can bring it all together Uh,
0: sounds good sounds good well I, I am going to move on to the second question and what I'm going to go to is because I think the word culture was said probably 20 odd times there. I am going to come to you, Claire, because I know that will send around your question, something I know from speaking to you in the past you're quite passionate about. So I'll pose the question and I'll let you dive into a bit more. But Claire wanted to know, um, what is the importance of organisational culture in innovation? So Claire, I'll hand over to you and, and dive a bit deeper into that. Yeah, and I'm so glad that
1: it came up. Um, naturally as, as part of the, the previous question, because, you know, five years ago when I was working in finance, um, I'll be really honest, I, I didn't really get what they were talking about when they were talking about the culture of innovation. I was thinking, what are they going on about? You know, um, but actually having now worked in innovation for, 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 for several years, um, it, it, it's really, really important. Um, and I think, you know, for us at Older Hay, our whole, approach to innovation is about solving real world problems um, on the ground. So all of our problems that we solve and and we um, innovate on come from um, either staff um, or patients uh, or their families because we're a children's hospital. So it is about problem solving so where culture comes in is actually permission to innovate and making an innovation and value in the organization and and making it part of everybody's business is really really important and that's not something you can switch on and it's not something one innovation manager can make happen it really has to be part of a of a journey where the organization kind of almost embeds culture and um, in Sorry, the, the the culture of innovation within the organization DNA. So that's why I, I posed the question. So I'd just be really interested to know what others um think um about that topic and how culture of innovation is is maybe um um embedded in, in your organizations. Thanks,
0: Claire.
4: Um Adrian, you've you've raised your hand there. Um for a long time innovation was nobody's job in, in the health service. Um, so we've had a research and innovation division supporting all the hospitals in the group for a while, but it's a small part of, of, of the research agenda. Um, so, you know, the, the staff numbers are, are minuscule in, in relation to the number of people doing clinical research across the trust. Um, so I think it's, it's partly having, you know, executive buy-in from, from right at the top level. Uh, and an innovation strategy, but it's also having people to to do innovation, to recognise innovation, and to spend time on it. Because if you rely on business as usual from your clinical colleagues, then you know it, it'll always be last on the list to do. So I think culture is around having the time to do it as well.
0: Thanks, Adrian. Um, Adam, I think I, I seen you nodding quite a bit there. What what's your thoughts, and how, how is it within your organisation?
2: I mean i think i think it comes back to one of the other points raised around I think perhaps as eleanor said it, around proving that innovation actually can happen and these things snowball and i think we often talk about stuff in the nhs but then and people hear it and people get galvanized and people come forward with their ideas and then nothing happens and there's only so many times that can happen before people lose faith and i feel like in my career I've constantly had to sort of go into a fairly, I guess, low um, low energy environment and try and gee people up and say, no, this time it's going to be different. We can actually do it this time. And certainly that's been borne out over the last couple of years. Like, yes, we actually can do this. We've got to maintain that momentum. Um, but that hasn't always been the case. And I think that then fosters more enthusiasm. And you go from there. You know, I think culture comes from an accumulation of of ultimately individuals all feeling and thinking the same thing Um, and yeah I I think it follows on from actually proving uh, that that meaningful things can be achieved.
0: Thanks Adam. Uh, Nada you've raised your hand now?
3: Yeah um, I just wanted to sort of echo a couple of points really with Adrian's point around Sort of having the time and um, it being nobody's job and and things like that. You know, I can I can I can resonate with that being quite a small hospital but having quite a huge research presence. But if you compare the research to the innovation, it's not comparable. Um, but equally, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do to to change that and actually embed the culture is, you know. The fact that we have so much research going on as an organisation, and it's a huge um, embedded part. How can we take that and turn it into real innovation? A lot of our, a lot of the time, you know, our clinical trials come to an end, and that's kind of the end of things. Um, and you know, things don't really progress much because it's no one's job to take it on and and progress it. And looking at that as a, as people being able to see things through, hopefully, will shift that that culture a little bit. Um, and also Adam's um, points, and, and to me it's about building the foundations, because a lot of the time what we, the reason things aren't successful it are that we kind of jump into opportunities, things always come our way, they're always tight time scales, or you know, there's pressure and things like that, but the foundations aren't there to deliver it successfully, and then it ultimately, you know, does fail. Um so so for me, what we've been spending a lot of time doing at the Christie is building those foundations back right from the beginning, maybe not taking on as much projects to really focus on what are our processes, how do we make sure that we can see innovation through um, sort of till the end. Um and, and it has made it has meant saying no to things that even though we really want to do it, we know that we don't have the foundations that will enable us to successfully sort of see it all through. Um, And and a final point I want to say about culture is is for me, seeing innovation as a safe space to do things and for them to fail and having that culture and acceptance within an organization that just because we've taken something on or we're trying something, the fact that it isn't successful, isn't a failure. It's just our, our safe space to test things and say, yeah, this works, no, this doesn't work for us. Uh, and that's a huge part of culture because i think there's a fear there of not sort of um delivering in a sense but it's it's still a success if it doesn't deliver because you've tried and tested and said no this doesn't work for us um so i think all of those elements together are kind of you know indications of how to, to work on culture within an organization
0: thank you so much Anna. that's really interesting um Ellen, i can see you uh raise your hand
5: yeah yeah um So I was just uh, reflecting on everyone's points. Something that's really um, important to me, particularly since I've joined the role free, is just also how many ideas people do have on the ground um, and problems as well, and how many people don't know about them or how there's not a route for them to express them or to ask for help about them, other than sort of the sort of siloed verticals of, you know, you go to your your service manager or your... um, uh, finance department and see if you can build something from there but there's there's no sort of overarching mechanism to get their ideas heard um, and i think that's something really important about culture is people feeling that they they can put forward an idea and it does get heard and um, so building those mechanisms for how to sort of almost tap into all of the ideas that are happening on the ground um i, th- I think is is really key because that then empowers people it makes it feel more personal to them they feel that like they have a, a voice in it um, and a while back, we're not currently doing this at the at the role three, but so I, had a, I worked in an organisation where everyone voted on the best innovation to to fund across the staff group, and and that was something really visual and powerful that they could say we've chosen this and it's it's deployed, and and it helps the visibility as well.
0: That's a really interesting
4: point. Thank you so much, for that, Eleanor. Uh, Adrian, I can see you raise your hand there. Uh, just um, to to echo what Eleanor was saying, really empowering staff to be confident enough to, to actually voice those ideas um, is, is crucial um, and, and they need to, once, once they've done that, they need to know what's happening to it and if their idea is any good and have some feedback on it, which speaks to Adam's point about, um, you know, proving that it, that it, it, it can work. Um, and getting that mechanism right isn't straightforward, but it, it's crucial. That is part of that co-production piece is, is letting people have a voice. Letting them know is, what works um, is, is key to, to the culture question we're discussing.
0: Thank you so much Adrian, thank you for that. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's really interesting hearing all these sort of uh, thoughts and things, and it, it does all sound like you are echoing each other, which makes me feel like there is a, um, a common trend across innovation, across the NHS, which is a good thing, I suppose. So Adrian, I am going to actually come to yourself now um, for, for the next question. So I will pose it to the group and come to yourself. Um, around adoption. So Adrian asked, what are the essential elements of an innovation adoption strategy for NHS organisations? So things we've probably touched on a bit, but Adrian, do you, to, do you want to dive into that a bit
4: deeper? I think we're all asking the same question, aren't we? What's What's the recipe book and uh, what, what are the key parts of it? Um, and the reason I ask the question specifically about innovation adoption is because we're embarking on a programme of work with the Health Foundation, who are supporting uh, a number of uh, innovation adoption hubs across the NHS. Uh, Manchester were fortunate enough to win uh, a competition to to become one of those hubs. And uh, our own focus is around digital innovation adoption. Um, So we are putting together a package of work over, uh, it'll be a two year programme, and we will focus on things like Um, culture and people, uh, process and technology, um, and co-production and evaluation. So, you know, I think we've already talked about a number of those things. Um, And I I guess it's the focus is really on we want to look at proven innovations, but then we need to make sure that it meets an actual need within the organisation. And that speaks to, I think Claire spoke about this and... and, um, and and others, uh, you need to actually hear what the problems are, rather than just look at solutions that are in search of a problem. That's something the NHS comes across Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, We also need to, um, so as well as meeting the need, we need to adapt it to the local setting. So, you know, we need to do that in partnership with maybe not always just staff, but the patients that are involved in um, the care pathway that the innovation is designed to assist. Um, So it's really around, what are we missing? Um, We've spoken about some of those things. Um, I'm keen that we get executive senior level buy-in and a process embedded across the organisation. But also we need to focus on the users and make sure that they have the skills and the ability, the time, to, to look and, uh, uh, and co-produce and, and adapt those innovations w- uh, with w- within the um, within the structures of the organisation. So it's really around that that recipe book again. Um,
0: Claire, is there anything you, you could add from I know you've done a lot of good things at Older Hay quite recently as well. What, what's it like for you and any tips or advice? I know we've come to you with your recipe book already, but anything that, around digital innovation and Adrian's mentioned there?
1: Yeah, so a a lot of what we do is more on the invention rather than the adoption, but we do do adoption and I think the stuff that Adrian's just described there, two things for me. One, making sure the the technology that's going to be adopted addresses a real world need. Um, So just really making sure that we've done that problem scoping um and that the um the, the problem is addressed by the technology because you know often if the technology doesn't solve the problem on the ground, the users won't accept it um and then you won't get the um you know the benefits um through. So I think that kind of making sure that the that the problem is is a real world problem and the users um, except the technology is is really critical. The other thing for me, which um, I, I think is really important in the NHS, and I think we're really bad at it, if I'm honest, and, and I can say this um, proudly, having sat in a finance role for 20 years. But that evaluation piece is something I think the NHS does not do really well. Um, and I think you know, we, some people call it benefits realization, but it's more than um, the, than financial benefits. It, it, it's true evaluation that the technology is is having um impact to 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 care and outcomes and it is actually doing what it should have done and actually being able to go back and evaluate technology is 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 a skill Um, and and i think that's why these hubs perhaps have been established because that that i I don't think that blueprint is there and embedded in the nhs and it should be and so that's just my food for thought for today (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Asian, I can see you raise your hand quite
4: quickly. Uh, just to add another piece of the jigsaw, so in terms of the process part of that and the tools that we need to embed across the organisation, uh, we are working closely with our academic health science network um, for the region, um, to, and again, that's the adaption piece, because they, uh, the AHSNs have a regional remit uh, in terms of innovation adoption, but what we actually need in terms of a trust point of view is um, a local um, way of doing these things, making it appropriate for, for our organisation, because what's appropriate for a region might not be appropriate for an individual trust. But uh, the process is, you know, we we want to work with partners like AHSN to to to, to mirror some of the, the key skills and the competencies that they have.
5: I'm uh, um Eleanor. Yeah, so yes, it's just um, my reflection. I think with a lot of adoption, I think some behavioral science um, approach it can also be useful in terms of getting it the, the uptake. And um, so when you're thinking about behavioral science, you're thinking about um, opportunity, motivation, and, and, and capability, I think it is. So motivation, How? what's the reward system for interacting with the new system? Um, how is it being measured, um, what's the KPIs um, sort of thing, what is the personal motivation doing, what benefits can you get out of it? And there's something about the opportunity, which includes money, Um, how is a service going to be remunerated for something, Um, where is it actually placed in a room? So, like, do you have to cross it, can you interact with it? So when you think about airports and where, those buttons are placed, the opportunity is there just to say no, but you wouldn't go and quickly fill out a form that was left on the side, but you would smash a button because the opportunity is there quite quickly. Um, And and then there's something about capability, which comes back to digital literacy, um, the the skills, um, and also the the technical expertise to be able to fix something if something breaks, which often (laughs) doesn't happen, especially if you're working with innovation that's not being built by you. And gets brought on, and um, building that capability.
0: Thanks, Anna. I don't know if you got
2: anything to answer to that. Um, I mean, I have a few sorts of different points, I suppose. I mean, you were talking about um, what should, you know, what happens locally, what happens regionally, and, and nationally, and where where does innovation take place? And I think that is that 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 question of scale is an important one to cross because I think it is hard for individual organizations like, you know, we work for providers. It is hard for individual organizations to take on certain things that feel quite risky and require quite a lot of investment you know R- rpa is an example of that but 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 there are others where it doesn't make sense for you yourself to work out how to do it and so i think there is probably a space for ics's or AHSNs, whoever it is to act as those agents of economies of scale but I think they need to be much more bolder in taking on those roles. You know, I'm I'm sick of speaking to people above the provider level, saying that their job isn't to do the doing, it's to it's to facilitate and assure and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's billions that go into these organisations and they need to do more, I think, than that to help us. And I also think there's got to be more that, you know, people like NHS, organisations like NHSX can do on this front. And I think... That starts with how funding is released. Help, helpful Ideally, not three weeks before a deadline. Um, and also how it's how the how the expenditure of that investment is then spent as well. Uh, sorry, how the expenditure is then sort of measured in terms of the impact of it. And uh, in the same way that um, you know spreadsheets and assurance is all is, is done for kind of you know performance and and sort of other things. There needs to be a better way of assessing what is the impact of an investment beyond asking us how much how many staff we've taken out you know or how much cost we've saved for a particular investment because we all know that healthcare is more complex than that and it just hinders innovation to constantly focus on these very reductive ways of measuring things that I think are counterproductive. Thank
0: you for that Adam, Uh, really good insights there. Um, Adam is anything you'd like to add before, before we move on to the next question?
3: Um, I don't think there's anything sort of different than what's already be, be, been said. Um, I think for me, it's a bit of a balance, which is kind of what everyone's saying around, you know, local areas being able to adopt things in a way that works for them and not feeling things are mandated if it's not suitable, but equally having enough support and resource um, to undergo the adoption from a more kind of national perspective. Um And I think that's really, really key. And I actually used to work for the um, AHSN, Adam, (laughs) a while back before I joined the Christie. Um, And and I think that, you know, that there is a lot of kind of, we're here to encourage rather than do the doing. But the practicalities are that a lot of people don't have the time, capacity, understanding of how to do the doing. And what we found is, you know, supporting Financially, by being able to help employ people that can do the doing, um, was you know a real a real success. And um, when I when I was at the HSN in in the southwest, that's sort of in, in the west of England. Sorry, that's what we more of what we did rather than trying to walk in and and tell people what innovations they must be adopting. Um, so it's 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 a real fine balance, I think, the na- national versus local. Um, Innovation and, and what works for one will might not work for another.
0: Thank you so much, Dana. Thank you for that. Well, now uh, again, could listen to you all day, but I'm just conscious of time, so we're going to move on to uh, the second last question. And Adam, I'm actually going to come to you. if That's okay. Just uh, it's a bit of a different topic uh, to what we've spoke about most um, recently. So I'll read out and I'll come to you. if That's okay. Um, so Adam wrote to me, I think it would be interesting to explore how we continue to assess the risk of innovation in a holistic way, i.e. looking at the risk on patient care, staff not doing something, as well as the risk on IT, IG point of view of doing something new. So Adam, do you want to touch on that? Because I appreciate that's quite an open question. Do you want to touch on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's speaking to the sort of point I made right, right at the beginning about how we overcome these barriers to to implementation. And I think, you know, we all, we all know about the uh, difficulties of getting all your different stakeholders on board when you're trying to do something new, whether that's i t or information governance or finance. and they all come at these things with their own perspective, their own very legitimate perspective um, based on based on their responsibilities and their remit, whether that's you know not uh, not infringing gdpr or or information governance or you know not creating a little, shadow IT department that mainstream IT then not need to kind of pick up when things go wrong. You know, these are all legitimate points and I think that we have to find a way of, of breaking down those barriers and getting everyone to collaborate when it comes to introducing something new because the, the risk of not doing that, which I am guilty of, is basically doing stuff and not telling anyone and that's, that's great because you can get stuff done quickly but if it falls over, you probably I probably will be that person that goes to IT and says, you know, please help me out, I've done something terrible here. Um, so I don't know what the answer to that is. I guess it comes back I guess it does come back to culture. I think it also comes back to who is putting forward these solutions. So certainly in the past, it's been very helpful presenting to IT with clinicians in the room who can really bring to life the potential impact of something that they want to do and sort of share a patient story and that sort of stuff um uh, but you know i think everyone's everyone's heart is in the right place it's just that they have their own set of anxieties and fears when it comes to doing new things and um uh you know we need to we need to kind of understand where those anxieties sit in the hierarchy if you see what i'm saying when you also think about the anxieties of not doing something and the impact that could have
0: thank you adam Uh, adrian you've raised your hand there
4: um, yeah, I, and again, I think this speaks to a couple of the points we've mentioned, and I'm just thinking about the process piece as well. We we spoke just now about the systems that that may have uh, may be present in in AHSNs, um, and I'm specifically thinking of a toolkit that we want to adapt for our own use, which has a system of um, prioritisation, so alignment with. The organization's needs for individual innovation projects, and then a very, and then a lot of clarity around why are we doing this, what do we want to achieve, what are the risks of not doing it, um, so that we we cover some of those risk elements off in that process piece, in that we've got senior buy-in and we also are clear about what we want to achieve and what will happen if we don't, uh, if we do nothing. Um, has to be one of the options in that that uh, almost business case approach I think thanks Adrian. claire
1: yeah it, it I like to question Adam it, it made me really think actually because I've not thought of innovation in that way in terms of the risk of not doing it and um, but I think I think it's the same thing as what we do here but turned on its head in terms of language because for us you know we scale the problem you know is this a big problem that needs solving and by it being a big problem it probably um inevitably is is something that is is a risk to the organization whether it be quality whether it be safety whether it be money whether it be um something like it could be staff engagement um and i think i think the answer is is definitely in the process Um, and i think for, for us our motto is is is, is to um, fail fast, fail safely. So having the culture in the organization that adopts a, a process of innovation that accepts experimentation as a good thing that you create prototypes, you create proof of concepts, you experiment with the innovations and then you either kill it or you keep it and then you move to the next phase and a part of that process has to be inclusive including in that experiment your digital teams your research teams your clinical teams your finance teams whoever it is really and um, it is all kind of the answer i think is, is is in the process but i just really like the phrase fail fast fail safely so don't, don't waste a lot of money on stuff that's not going to work thank you
0: claire thank you uh, nana i think you already your hand there next
3: uh, yeah, I think um, one of the things we're working on um, at the Christie is a completely new way of risk assessing um, innovation and, and partnerships within innovation. And I think you're right in that you know we are very risk averse, and I think you know rightly so to a certain degree that there, 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 there lies a lot of responsibility with the things that we try and try and do and and adopt. Um, but for us, you know, we're looking at we're risk assessing before even entering into any sort of you know agreements or anything and it's quite a holistic risk assessment and it looks at you know things that we don't normally look at things like um reputationally what what is the impact of all of this um looking at the risk of not doing it like a few it's been mentioned a couple of times and it's something we've not really done before it's always the typical you know risk of if we do this what happens what happens if it all goes wrong um so so it I think you're right in that there is a need for us to look at things and the risk of innovation in a, in a different way but I do think it's it is happening slowly but um you know there are steps of, of kind of realizing that we can't be risk-averse and not take on things forever and
0: Adam come back to yourself you obviously asked the question as well
2: yeah, I just wanted to sort of come back on a couple of things, I, I think, you know, almost like the relationships between, you know, innovation teams and those other sort of supporting functions is so important and certainly, you know, I I would like to think at least that we've got really good relationships now between us and IT and, and, and IG and others and that's, that does make a massive difference because it is much, much better to be doing stuff collaboratively with everyone and knowing what's going on and understanding it rather than feeling like you're forced into a situation of kind of doing things slightly under the radar. Um, and and that probably takes a little bit of time, but again, it comes back to having you know what is your having that strategic sort of executive support for what you're trying to do, and having a culture that really embraces it. Just on what on what uh, Claire was saying, I think the, the the thing around failing is so important, and I think what we need to be doing more of, I think as well, is is the notion of creating these sort of sandboxes where you can actually play around with stuff in as in as close to a live environment as possible. So that you don't end up in this other, very NHS-y thing, of kind of business casing the life out of something, and trying to trying to sort of um, predict what's going to happen once you implement something, and there's this sort of this 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 vicious cycle that results in nothing happening where you can't prove concepts until you've actually implemented it in a live environment, but you can't implement it into a live environment until you've proven concepts and got your business case signed off. So we need to find ways where you can effectively do that proof of concept without sort of you know, make, having any risk on the way that we deliver care or whatever so that you get to your business case and actually you've proven it. It works. It's just about turning it on for your patients. And I think tr- talking to some suppliers about how we do that, but there's, there's a lot more that I think we could try and do in that area for sure.
0: Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Well, um, again, really, really interesting to listen to you all day, but I'm just conscious of time. So um, the actual final question, Eleanor, I think um, yours actually ties in to, to end the discussion really well. So um, Eleanor asked, and I'll, I'll come back to you after just to, to pose a bit more into, into it, but Eleanor asked, how do we actually embed innovation as a value? So I'm going to go to you, Eleanor, first, as always, but I think it's just a good question to end on. So so what's your thoughts?
5: So um, I give a bit of context why I thought of this question. It, it comes back to what Adam was saying about those NHSX um, three-week bids. Um, I was trying to draft something, and a lot of the bids and things were sort of structured around having something ready to go and to implement it and to be immediately able to demonstrate return on investment. And it just made me think about um, how how do we embed the and demonstrate the value of innovation and to almost reflect that (laughs) with the system as well so that we can we can give it back to them because i was trying to almost um paraphrase things to try and fit it into certain boxes so it's just a question i guess that how do we embed it more systematically in terms of how do you don't and also your experience of it um even it's just a big moan about what i just did about trying to fit in a bid form (laughs) thank
0: you anna thank you adam
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, that really resonates with me, obviously, because I said the NHSX bid thing, but I th- I think we need a more private sector mentality to how we do innovation and build new enterprises. And if you think about companies like Amazon or Ricardo, they've only turned a profit in the last year or two, I think, because they have generated loads of revenue and they've reinvested it. And they get more and then you know they get more investment from from their funders etc and the way that startups work as you know as well in general that they're, they're not expected by their private equity funders or vc funders to make a profit and show a return on investment within three years four years five years let alone four months in the case of these NHS X bits so we need a very different mentality, I think, from the people that are providing us with the cash to support those innovations. They have to be perceived as sort of multi-year returns on investment. And I think, and I don't know what the answer to this either is, but the the, the kind of, the, the the annual cycle that we have of budgeting is also really unhelpful. And, you know, that comes back again to your point about NHSX bids, that, that the idea that we have to spend all this money within four months, rather than being able to carry it over or anything like that it's really inhibitive and you know often budgets don't get fixed until six months into the financial year you often get to January you work out you've got loads of capital left over so there are these very sort of cyclical endemic things within the sort of accounting structure of the NHS that I think are, are definitely barriers to um, doing meaningful long-term change rather than being very tactical and short-termist. Thanks Adam and
0: Nana?
3: Um, yeah for me I think one of the key things as well it's not is is the the change in perception of the benefits of innovation you know everyone sees it as saving money or you know or saving time or whatever one of the key things a lot of the the projects that we look at is actually being able to deal with what's going to happen in the future rather than actually saving money it's you know, we know that it's all going to grow exponentially, the number of patients that we're seeing and, you know, appointments that we have, and we don't have the staff to deal with all of that. So it's looking at innovative ways to actually be able to deal with what's coming rather than just saving money. And I think the the kind of um, expectation when we are, you know, um, bidding for funds and things like that, you know, how, how many appointments are you saving, how much, how many patients visits are you saving all of those kind of things sometimes that's not you kind of have to not not fudge it i don't want to say fudge it but you know that's not you have to put a spin on it but that's usually not what the intended kind of use of an innovation is it is to be be able to deal with what's coming in the coming years as an organization thanks nala claire
1: yeah i guess Having worked in NHS finance for twenty years, I I, I know this problem uh, quite intimately, um, and and it, it's a true problem, um, and I don't think we can fix it because of the way the financial architecture works in the NHS. So. I think, I think for me, you know, having jumped out of finance and into an innovation role, the advice I can offer is, 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 is really getting your organisation to be thinking about innovation as, 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 as part of the solution to solving healthcare problems on the ground. I would highly avoid making it around saving money. Um, i know for rpa and we have a an rpa program here as well you know rpa is a a really neat way of saving time and and hours and you can cash release that or you can reinvest it but more generally if you go broader than rpa you know innovation has to be about solving the 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 problem and that problem might um, be solved and result in benefits in. In, in in quality and safety in, in 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 well-being it could save a life and i think that has to be the focus um, and our way of doing this at alder hay and actually it never used to be this way we did have a focus five years ago on innovation was about being a profit center but what we've shifted to now is actually it's about having patient impact and if patient impact is 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 is, is good we can then monetise the innovation so the benefit back to the organization comes back in through revenue generation, um, but that's not the primary focus. It's almost the the symptom. It's almost the unintended consequence of innovation. And and, and that's kind of the shift you've got to focus your organization on And and, I, and that most people who come to talk to me about innovation, you know, they, they, they've been set up as a profit center to commercialize when actually they should be set up to have impact in the hospital or the community organization, whichever organization they work, it doesn't really matter.
4: Thank you, Claire. Uh, Adrian, have you got anything to, to add to that? Um, yes, um, I was going to talk about empowering staff. I think one of the, the problems, um, and, and uh, Eleanor, you spoke earlier about um, encouraging and rewarding people to engage with the system. I think within the NHS, research and innovation has always been a way of, of, of us helping to attract and retain the best clinical staff, and keeping them interested and certainly listening to ideas that they come up with for improving patient care has to be something that we do and do seriously. But I think there's always an underestimate of how long it takes. So innovation of new ideas and development of new ideas through to fruition takes decades sometimes. Um, So there are two things. One is the innovation adoption of things that have been proven and you, you just adapt them to a local need if they will have local benefits in terms of saving time, potentially money, but also improving patient outcomes. But how you encourage people to engage in that long term innovation piece is well, maybe the subject of a different podcast, Alex, I don't know, but (laughs) I I was I was definitely interested, I might I might reach out to you separately, Eleanor about your ideas about rewarding uh, for, for engaging in the system, because, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a struggle, I think.
0: Thank you, Adrian. Um, does, does Alan, that, does that help anyway, to, to the question you posed?
5: Yeah, it's actually given me some ideas about how we can all come together to sort of even articulate how we would want innovation to be measured or valued, and just thinking about what Claire was saying about how do we come up with our own um, language. No, just but yeah, thanks
0: all. No, I, I think it's a, a really good place to to stop, and um, hopefully, I, I've been, blown away by the way, by the I've made absolutely tons of notes, which has been interesting to learn about. I'm still intrigued into your your drones, Claire. You told me about at the start as well, and that's one point I just can't get out of my head. When uh, just to make you aware, before I got on, Claire was talking about some drones in Liverpool. So uh, you're gonna have to tell me what that is if you've got two minutes spare now.
1: Yeah, sure. So the city region has an innovation program, which is all industry um, innovation and I represent um, healthcare um, and part of the city's uh, innovation strategy um, includes all different technologies, 5G, you name it. But one of the um, the projects that they wanted to workshop today was about drone technology and about how drone technology is going to benefit society um, in the future. Um, so I attended that workshop representing health, um, and one of the things that I was interested in is big data. So I was putting on the table as a use case is we really want um, air quality data and traffic data, so we can um, bring that data and overlay it with our healthcare data to look at innovative preemptive AI models. Um, but it's really interesting, actually. I learned a lot. So the fire service in Liverpool, for example, are already using drone technology, which I didn't know. I live in Liverpool, so okay. apparently, when um, there is accidents on the motorways, the drones go over and do floodlights, and they can have um, image and heat sensors, so they can check to see if people have um, kind of been flung, you know, into the I don't know, into the the, the the sides of the road. And yeah. they're also using it on man hunts up and down canals and, and in open yeah. fields. So it was just fascinating. Um, yeah. I had to ask the
0: question that big bugging me all night. You, you mentioned Jones Liverpool yeah, and then I didn't get a chance. But no, thank you for that. No, well, uh, well thank you everyone. I, I hope you did all find some value. I hope you all learn. I hope there's there's been something to take away from it. And um, that is the end goal at the end of the day. And uh, it's been really
5: interesting to, to hear from each of you. So thank you all for, for getting involved. I do I do really hope you had some some value from it.